Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Welcome. In case you didn't know who I was, my name is Pastor Bob Rentler, and I'm preparing for my soon-coming irrelevance as I retire from associate pastor on the 1st of March. My task today is to share part four of our series called The Dreams of Generations. And the part that I'm going to be sharing today is called From Dream to Nightmare. And so I'm going to be first expanding on some terminology. I'd like to take the words we've been talking about, dreams, Dreaming, vision, DNA, legacy, promise, or a hope. All of these words I'd like to generically use to refer to a dream in all the contexts we've already been discussing and the ones I'll be talking about as well. As Pastor Jack opened this series, we're reminded that intergenerational dreams that we speak of are not just the dreams we have while we're asleep, The key point to be made is that this, the dream, whether it's an aspiration, a vision, a legacy, a promise, or a hope, all of those dreams need to be of God and from God. And I have a great example of a dream as an aspiration or a hope for the future. And since this is Black History Month, I'd like to refer to Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous speech he made on August the 28th, 1963. And it came to be known as the I Have a Dream speech. And that speech included several I Have a Dream statements. The most often quoted one is this one, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. At the end of the speech, he said, and from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens and we allow freedom ring, then we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, every state, every city. We'll be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men, white men, Jews, Gentiles, Protestants, Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Now, I happen to believe that dream is of God, perhaps not in every way as Martin Luther King Jr. did, but I believe in the core of it. But we have dreams, we have aspirations that are sometimes not clearly, of God. I once aspired to qualify for and run the Boston Marathon. That was my dream. Well, age and physical injury, they killed that dream. There was a time when I aspired to attain a PhD degree. Lisa wisely provided all the reasons why that would not be of God. And in the end, I agreed, why do we need two Dr. Rentlers in the world? 
But as Pastor Jack mentioned, even godly dreams need to be reinvigorated. So we take our Dream of Generations series to the next generation of God's people from the Old Testament book of Genesis. And the character we're talking about today is sometimes called Joseph with the coat of many colors. Now, I can't read all of this, but perhaps you never had the chance to study Joseph or attend a Sunday school class where they did. So I'm going to try to summarize those details for those of you who lack that knowledge. Aside from his multicolored coat, we mostly know Joseph as one who was all about dreams. He was a dreamer as well as a successful interpreter of dreams. All six dreams in that story of Joseph were symbolic dreams. They seemed to be sleep dreams. Two of them contained obvious imagery, and then four of those dreams required some kind of interpretation. Joseph served as that interpreter. However, he insisted that the interpretations came from God. So as I continue to give a summary of Joseph's life, I'd like to let Stephen do that for us. Stephen was one of the first deacons introduced in the book of Acts. And Stephen was accused of speaking against the Jewish faith, against the teachings of Moses. So Stephen spoke up and he spoke to the Jewish council, paying respect to the history of the Jews. So I'll take what Stephen gives us as a reminder about Joseph. My excerpt from Joseph's speech starts in Acts chapter 7, verse 8. And this is what he is telling to the council. And he, that is Yahweh, gave him, that is Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob became father of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all of his afflictions. He gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him ruler over all of Egypt and over all of his household. Now there came a famine through all of Egypt and Canaan with great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit, And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all of his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt. And he died, he and our fathers. And they carried back to Shechem. They carried him back to Shechem, laid him in a tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. I'll stop the story right there because it gets past Joseph. But there's some more facts about Joseph which may help you in our discussion here today. Here's a quick list. The story of Joseph goes from chapter 37 to 50. That's a quarter of the book of Genesis is about one person and his life. That's phenomenal. Not even that much is discussed about Abraham. Joseph was, in fact, sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. Joseph was then bought as a slave of Potiphar. 
Potiphar, a very high official in Egypt. And Joseph did very well with God's help. And Joseph was fully trusted by his master until Potiphar's wife took a fancying to Joseph. I guess I could say Potiphar wasn't taking care of all of his wife's needs, if you know what I mean. But Joseph refused to sin with her. She became angry. She told lies about him, and he was put into jail. Joseph then demonstrated his true character, his fear of God. And Joseph's ability to interpret dreams got him out of jail, but only after much betrayal and delay. And he came into great favor with Pharaoh. Joseph was made ruler over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. So you get a picture of what happened in those 37 chapters. We're going to zoom in now to some particular passages which are key. So if we turn in our text to Genesis 37, starting at verse 5. Genesis 37, starting verse 5. It says this. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Well, stop right there. The reason they hated him was because he was the favored son of his father. And that's because he was the first son of his favorite wife. So Jacob had favorites, and it caused Joseph trouble with his brothers. And he said to them, Hey, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and it stood upright. And behold, your sheaves all gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Well, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? See, he was a younger brother. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Ah, his words. And then he dreamed another dream. Hadn't learned his lesson yet. And he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this saying in mind. So a couple thoughts on the starting passage about Joseph. And his dreams. He was hated for his dreams and for his words. Sure, Joseph's dreams made them jealous, but by his words, which I believe were probably some boasting going on here, Joseph raised the level of what his brothers had towards him to all out hatred. So he added to the bad situation, made it worse. More on this in a couple of my points. But more importantly, Jacob was playing favorites. It's wrong for parents to play off one child to the others. It induces a horrible curse. When somebody says, why can't you be like your brother so-and-so? He's so much more, look at him, he's so much more obedient. Listen, I had a grandma (laughs) who did that to her daughters. She did that in her life. And then she did it in her death. 
in her will, she willed 75% of all she owned to her one daughter. 20% to the second daughter and only 5% to the third. So what kind of curse do you think that left? My mother didn't talk to her sisters for five years because they're all upset at one another. So she left a curse behind just like that. Oh, you think it ends right there? (laughs) My mother wrote in her will, I don't want your brother Rick to have any part of this. So I said, oh, what's going to happen here? So sure enough, she gives most of her possessions to me and to my brother Russ, left out my older brother Rick. But I was the executor of the will, and I said, I am going to break this curse right here. And I just, against the will, I did one-third, one-third, one-third. And my older brother, who was estranged, said, I don't deserve this. I said, that's okay, because I'm going to stop the curse right here and now. Onward then, let's talk about my next point, which is this. God prepares us for our dream's fulfillment. But here's my point. A dream sustains us while we're waiting for it to be fulfilled. There's a complicated process that occurs in us when we have received a dream, whether it's a vision or a legacy or maybe even a promise. But there's something else in receiving that dream. It's a little bit like this. It's almost like God says, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle what it is that's going to happen to you. Here's the dream that I'm giving to you right now, but you're not ready for this to be realized yet. So God gives us those dreams, those aspirations for a future that we're not ready for. But having that dream in front of us, it sustains us through the days, months, the years of waiting become years of preparation. It's very meaningful in the proverb that says this, where there's no vision, the people perish. And that is to say, if they don't see an onward place to go, a dream to fulfill, the people perish. Looking forward to that dream can be life-giving and energizing. Pastor Jack said in part two of the series, the dream has to be reinvigorated. I also think that keeping the dream before us in itself can be invigorating. Being reminded that all that we're laboring over, all that we're striving to do is part of a greater purpose that we're working towards together. It sustains us by giving us a future event to look forward to. But there's much to do before we will be ready for that dream. Which brings me to my next point here. A dream is not a guarantee against troubles and trials. We'll learn this from Joseph. In the world you have troubles, Jesus told us, but I've overcome the world. Now, troubles may tempt us to doubt or to dismiss the dream. A guy named Victor Raymond Edmonds said this thing, very important though. He says, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Let me say that again. Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. You need to remember what he said in the light because there are going to be dark days. The first steps God leads you towards in fulfilling that dream 
may not be what you expect. In the case of Joseph, for example, he had lots of troubles right from the very beginning. At the time of Joseph's dream, it sounded like maybe he was acting like an immature teenager. He was only 17 at the time. He managed to irritate his brothers. Even his father he provoked, even though he was the favored son. It's clear from this text he had a big mouth that got him into a lot of trouble with his family. But the fact of the dream induces its own set of challenges, especially for Joseph. So when life begins to look like a nightmare, it just might be preparation for the dream itself. Which brings me to my next point. Our response to a dream delayed can be our testing or our refining. Here's a passage that I was reminded of by Delena from Psalm 105. It says this. This passage is interesting. Psalm 19 has a little bit of a repeating of the things that God has done for Israel. It sounds a little bit like Stephen's retelling the history. But in Psalm 105, I'll start at verse 16. And he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread. This is God now. And he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he, that is Yahweh, had said came to pass. The word, and the word here is imrah, meaning a word or a command of Yahweh, the Lord, tested him. And that word tested, if you go to the different translations, the translators obviously had a lot of trouble with this word because it shows up differently in many translations. The original word in Hebrew means something like this, to fuse metal, to refine, to cast, to founder, like you would melt metal, to purge away, to try. So some theologians believe that after a long season of an unfulfilled dream, what he said, which is in the dream, until that dream Joseph received became true, Joseph was tested by the word. Or this, the command of Yahweh himself tested, proved, refined him like metal in fire. That's what he went through. This must have felt like a nightmare to Joseph rather than a dream come true. But can you put yourself in Joseph's place? It didn't look like the dream, did it? All that he was going through. And yet God's hand of favor remained upon Joseph. And he remained faithful to what he knew about God and his commandments. Often when we receive a dream, we have our own clock, our own time scale on the fulfillment of that. But God doesn't often give us the schedule for his agenda, does he? In fact, one of the things of faith that I notice is that you have to give up your own time scale to entrust it to God. So in the waiting period, much of the quality of our faith, our integrity, our true character gets revealed. It gets proven. It gets tested. Especially when, huh, if you receive a dream of our spiritual forefathers, we might be tempted to say, where is the promise? How come the promise hasn't been kept? How long, O oh Lord, how long will the wait 
the time of waiting could be our time of refining. In Hebrews chapter 11, in what I call the Faith Hall of Fame, it says of these great men and women of faith, verse 13, these all died not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And then at the end of the chapter, it says this, and all of these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. That's pretty profound, isn't it? These great heroes of the faith never got what was promised through them. So the big delay in fulfilling a dream, that's an opportunity to show what kind of faith you really have. Which brings up my next point here, a very important one is this. The dreams of the Lord cannot be thwarted by human failure. And I take a great sigh of relief in that, and I am greatly encouraged by that. Look at some of the human failure in the generations that preceded Joseph. Oh my. This is when you know the scripture is true because it hasn't been made up. Because if anybody made up this story, it wouldn't have any of these principles I'm about to mention. Lying. Abraham lied about twice about his wife, Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Jacob, whose name means deceiver, he lied to almost everyone. Ten of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, faking a funeral. And then they kept it as a family secret for more than 10 years. That's what happened with Joseph. And of course, Jacob showing favoritism to his children. That favoritism went all the way back to Abraham, who showed favoritism to Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. And then in the end, Joseph favored, Jacob favored both, favored Joseph, and then later Benjamin amongst his sons. Oh, there's, it gets even better than this one, too. Broken relationships. Isaac and Ishmael, Abraham's son, they became estranged. Jacob fled from his brother Esau. They were estranged for years. And then Joseph was cut off from his ten brothers for a decade. So it doesn't look pretty ideal to me. And if I were going to write the story, I wouldn't put that in there. It makes me believe this might actually be true. So through human fault, we may have predicted doom and failure for Joseph and for his lineage. The word of the Lord, though, did not fail. Dreams were fulfilled. Doesn't that encourage you when you read that, when you hear that dreams were yet to be fulfilled? So finally, this is the moment I get to in the Genesis story. Joseph learns that his dream had come true. It occurs in Genesis 43. Joseph's brothers had returned a second time to come to Egypt from their home. And when they're standing in front of Joseph, they're telling the story of what had happened, but now they were desperately hungry for food. And it says this, the brothers bowed down to him on the ground. It was at that moment when Joseph, still speaking, just Egyptian, he had to leave the room and he wept and he wept because he knew 
that first dream, which he thought would never be fulfilled, there it was, his brothers bowing before him. It was fulfilled. But Joseph didn't give himself in yet. He tested them one more time. And Judah was the one who was begging for forgiveness. Judah was the one who one of his brothers, he said, kill him. We ought to kill this snob of a brother. That was Judah's idea. So wow, this all changed. And so when he even saw Judah's heart was changed to him, he lost it completely. He said to everybody, everyone leave the room except for these brothers. And then he says to them, In Hebrew, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. They couldn't believe their eyes. They couldn't believe their ears. How could he speak Hebrew? How would this guy be? Mind you, I'm sure Joseph was dressed like an Egyptian. He probably had his head shaved. He didn't have a traditional beard. He was only 17 years old when they first saw him, when they last saw him, right? But what a moment of redemption reunion, reward. And even so, later, than, later in this story, you find out Jacob passes away, but his brothers are still suspicious. And they're saying, oh, now that Jacob's dead, you know what? Joseph's really going to get even with us. So Joseph has to say this to his disturbed brothers. This is a profound statement of scripture. Right out of Genesis 50, it says this, as for you, You meant this for evil against me. But listen up, listen up. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Those are profound words. I believe this. Why did Moses, who I believe wrote the book of Genesis, why did he take chapter 37 to 50 to tell us all this stuff about Joseph. And I think it comes down to this very verse, why Moses wanted us to all hear this about Joseph. What an amazing discovery that Joseph came in his life. He captured part of the bigger picture of what the Lord was doing in his life, not just for him, but for the entire extended family of brothers, sisters, their children, their grandchildren. And this amazing revelation is it still intended for you and for me today. That verse still applies. And that is to say this, what others have meant for evil, God means it for good. We're going to get into that a little bit. See, emotionally healthy spirituality, we have that discipleship course here. We get to a place of talking about all the messed up things in our lives, but how God can transform evil and make it into good. And for some people, the evil in their lives prevent them from seeing that God is actually working out great things, but even though there's evil befalling us. So speaking of evil, do you know the phrase you ever say to somebody, ah, that young man, he comes from good stock. Do you ever hear that phrase? That was not me. In fact, I shared it with the men at the breakfast yesterday. I came from a very messed up family. Pretty, I can, that truth about good, good stock, not from my family. And so it's interesting that growing up, I thought it was normal. 
that everybody was messed up like our family. And it was later on I realized, uh uh-oh, maybe everybody isn't like that. But you know the truth is, every one of you have stuff. We all do. You might call it evil, whatever it is, but there's things you inherit, things that come your way. So my brother, who's a musician and plays many musical instruments, he wrote a song about what life was like in our family growing up with my grandmother and with my mom, too. So it's a blues song. It has to be blues, doesn't it? It's blues, yes. And it's about familial alcohol addiction, genetics, and the grace of God. And it's called One-Eyed Grandma. Well, see, this is how it happened. We had a grandmother. She was a very accomplished musician, played many instruments. We know for sure she played a violin, a Martin, 1910 Martin ukulele. Really nice stuff, right? We know she played piano. One of the other instruments we're not sure about, but she did have this violin that we found in her attic. Three strings, by the way. Because there's a story that goes along with this. It's kind of sad. When my grandmother was a young teen, she wanted to upgrade the strings on her violin to steel strings because as a student, you used cat's guts strings. Ever hear cat gut strings? So she put on the new strings and they said, Vicky, don't, don't do it. Wait for your teacher. She didn't listen. She locked the door. She put on the steel strings. She tightened them all up, but she over-tightened the one string and it went pop. And it blinded her in one eye. Yep. And as the song goes, she became an alcoholic as a result of that. So after her death, Russ and I scavenged her attic for all of her instruments that we could find. And so anyway, don't do it now, please. But if you go on YouTube and type in the word one-eyed grandma, there's three versions of that song that my brother recorded, okay? So you, you can enjoy the rest of the story. It's a very funny story. We put the fun into dysfunctional. Remember that? Okay. <laughs> So we did that. It's really, it's a, he did a song, sing-along at a coffee house and had everybody sing along. I got a one-eyed grandma and you know she loves me. Yeah, so anyway. So we, we inherited some pretty bad DNA. Substance abuse habits, mental illness, I dare say, poor genetics in our health, but God, by God's grace, we only seem to have inherited grandma's genetics No, we did seem to inherit grandma's genetics towards musical talent, plus a few instruments to go with it. So to be safe as a result of that inheritance, what my grandmother passed on to us, to my mom, who, by the way, was never a musician in any regard, the genes made it to my generation. But to be safe, I'm a teetotaler. Some of you guys know that. I work hard to control my cholesterol, because I know there's very poor health on my side too. And I've got these musical genes that come down from my grandma. So in this dream, my dream, my hopes, I hope that I will pass on the DNA of this good enjoyment of music to my children. Not too late, right, Becca? To my grandchildren. To my grandchildren, minus the bad DNA. I don't want that to go on there too. So listen, by faith, you can make a journey from a dream to some nightmare you may have experienced in your life 
but back to see that dream fulfilled. We have to learn to do something here. We have to resurrect the broken pieces of our lives and we hand them over to God. We know he is able to exchange, you guys know the verse, right? Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness so that he might be glorified. He does this. So this is the application in all this, by the way. There is an application. The dreams, the visions, the hopes, the aspirations that we have, even our DNA of former generations may come to us, though they are imperfect people, faulty people, maybe even with evil, nightmarish intentions. God has the ability, nay, he has the plan to transform that into the greatest good, to be a blessing to many that he might be glorified. You have to have that picture of God, that image of God, that faith in God. So this is my last principle here. Look to the fulfillment of your dreams, our dreams, as part of a larger dream given by the Lord to our spiritual forebears. This is about being, first of all, aware of the dreams that went on before you, the dreams that were handed on before you. So I wondered, before I was doing the study on all of this, was Joseph even aware of the context of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, in my studies here, I was very impressed to see that by the end of the chapter, it gets very clear. The promise was this that all the land Abraham could see, east to west, north to south, God said, all that land I will give to you and your offspring forever. That's a pretty impressive promise. I dare say that mentality behind that has much to do with the Israeli-Arab conflict right now. It's a belief in that concept. But a promise to make your offspring be as counted as many as the dust of the earth. So though Joseph saw the fulfillment of his own dreams, he saw also this. There's a bigger part of a larger dream that's happened here, that's happened to me. And Joseph then, in chapter 50, near the very end of the book of Genesis, Joseph says to his brothers, he's old now, I'm about to die but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He knew. He knew about that dream. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you are to carry up my bones from here. He knew he was to yet be taken into the promised land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he says, take my bones with you. You're not going to be in Egypt forever. You will return to the promised land. He knew that. He knew the context of everything that happened to him. It was part of this larger dream that God was fulfilling in his midst. And here at NC4, when we first got this building, some of you remember this, we needed more space over there on Linden Street to worship. We sought a couple of different ideas. They didn't work out. So there are several indicators by God regarding 
this space right here at 21 East Broad Street. For example, the signal that this building was zoned as a church, we didn't have to get a variation on the, a variance on the zoning. We were already zoned in this building, which is a bowling alley and a grocery store and a nursery downstairs in the basement was actually zoned for church. We saw that as a sign from God. And we found out we're actually very likely worshiping on the Moravian territory. It was first claimed by them for God. The dream of the Moravian pioneers from 1741. We are the fulfillment of their dream. Do you guys see that? We're all part of something much bigger than we realize. I'm going to put this violin down. And then when you see the forefathers, those who've gone before us in their dream and the fulfillment of that, but maybe they saw it, but from a distance. So many of the Old Testament prophets and the patriarchs didn't get to see the fulfillment, at least this side of heaven. So by faith, the Moravians, they saw a people like us occupying this territory. So let me ask this question. Do some of you lack any dream or sense of purpose? Does God even have a place in your life? I want you to know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph is very much alive and wants to have a part in your life. And if he does not have a place in your life right now, he can if you, like Joseph, would believe in him by faith. You might say, oh, I love to hear this story. I just don't know how it's possible. And I'm claiming to you in the name of Jesus, it is possible. If by faith you would ask Jesus into your life, come on in, Jesus. Come on in. My testimony that I shared with the men was when I realized I could be forgiven of all my sin if I just ask God to forgive me. And I sense you can have that today as well. So my encouragement to you is at the end of this service, if you do not know God that way and want to have a sense of purpose, you want God to give you dreams of something better than what you're going through right now, if you would like to see your nightmarish life transformed into something wonderful and beautiful, that's very much possible. Would you stand with me as I lead us in prayer. Can I have one musician come up here and play piano while I pray? Thank you. So let's pray for all the rest of us here. Lord, like Joseph, Lord, we want to learn to be faithful to you. We want to be faithful to you as we wait for what we were given as a dream, as a promise from you, from what we believe is from you, God, while we wait for that fulfillment, Lord. Help us to be faithful. And thank you for Joseph's example, that he stayed faithful, God, even when severely tempted to do otherwise. And Lord, we ask you, would you please confirm our dreams? God, we don't want to do anything that isn't of you. Our flights of fancy, God, our pictures of grandeur, 
God, if they're not of you, let them drop away. Let them fall to the ground. But only God we seek to know and hear dreams, affirmations that come from you. And Lord, when we are tested, uh, when our faith gets purified like metal in fire, God, would you give us much grace? Give us grace to keep on. And then Lord, like Joseph, we want a faith so we can take all the shattered pieces of all the evil done to us, all the curses, Lord, that have been spoken over us and into us. Lord, we can just lift them to you as a sacrifice of praising. Knowing this, Lord, you can transform all this evil into some wonderful good if we would just entrust it to you. So anew, afresh, God, I lift you right now all that brokenness in my life in my family, God, in my lineage, and I hand it to you, Lord. And finally, God, we ask you, would you help us as your church, as part of New Covenant? We want to honor, we want to fulfill the spiritual heritage, the dreams that have been handed off to us. We want to do it, God, as a church and as a community so that you might be glorified. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.